All right. How are we doing? That is white people rap at its finest. And so welcome one and all uh, to Wells Branch Community Church. So glad that all of you are here. My name is Chris Pleckenpole. I'm the lead pastor here. And we're uh, in a new sermon series called Who's Your Trainer? And we're going to be talking about parenting. And so if you're like, no, come on, really? Parenting? I'm not even close to being a parent. I don't want to be a parent. This has nothing to do with me. Don't worry. You were parented. So we're going to talk about how you were parented and has affected who you are today. And so if you have any questions, if you have any questions, I want you to text me here and uh, we will answer that in the Pastor Plex podcast that will be coming out roughly Tuesday-ish. And so very excited for that. Now, uh, in, in the world of parenting, uh, so Adrian and I, we have four children, uh, Austin is seven, Jed is six, Titus is four, and Paxton is two. And so on any given day, uh, it is mass chaos. And so, you know, the, the thing that makes parenting difficult is there's no instruction manual. There isn't a how-to. It's sort of you figure out as you go. It's sort of like building an airplane as it's flying, and it can be really challenging. Uh, in fact, one of the things that can be very hard is when there's so much need around to find any time for physical fitness, you have to really work the calendar and the clock. And so uh, this past week, Adrian and I, were, she, she took the 5 a.m. workout shift. She went, she went for a run at 5, and then I took over the workout time at 6, and I went to the garage, all right? So that was the plan. And so she, you know, she hadn't gotten back yet from the run, but I was in the garage, and I feel like, you know, I'm here close enough if any chaos ensues, I'll hear loud noises and, you know, things falling and, and plates crashing. So that was, I felt good about the garage. So I'm in the garage doing Camp Gladiator with somebody in Atlanta, and it was awesome. And I'm into it, and I'm like feeling good. I'm like, okay, you know, I look at my, my watch. I've got five till seven. I got to wrap this thing up and head back in. And as I, you know, victoriously accomplished the workout, sweaty and nasty, but ready to be a helping hand and to make sure everyone knows that daddy is now here to help. I open the door at 6.59 and there is a cacophony of sound uh, from all pitches of screams and from all things banging around. And it was, I knew immediately uh, things were not going well. And then Adrian from the top of the stairs says, this is not working, which meant that uh, my workout time was in jeopardy. So I had to uh, get, go guns a-blazing on whoever was in front of me, and it didn't really matter necessarily who it was, but somebody was going to get a talking to because there was some parenting that needed to be done. So I, the first targets up first were Austin and Jet. Austin and Jet, what are you doing? You need to be obeying your mom. Where are your clothes? Put your clothes on. And they were like fully dressed, you know. Um, and so that was sort of a miss. And I was, so I'm like, okay, that's not the problem. Who's the problem? And so I grab the baby, take the baby up, change the diaper, boom, into the little, uh, little trash diaper bin thingy, flip it over, and it, okay, ready to go. And I get the baby dressed, I head downstairs, and all is calm, except for the fact everyone's now doing the walk-down eggshell thing. Like, daddy's angry. And... <laughs> And you, you know this, right? I mean, you know, I wanted to prevent Adrian from going into livid mode and, you know, you know every, nobody can work out now because we all know this, happy spouse, happy house. Like that is something that we wrap our head around. And so I, I was ready to be a helper, but, you know, the problem was sort of kind of 
using the loudness of the voice sort of creates a weirdness for the house, okay? And so that's where I was, but this is where with so much chaos and so much friction, does anybody know what I'm talking about in those moments? Okay. And it's not that we don't want to parent correctly. It's not that we don't want to, to love our children. It's just that it's hard. In fact, you know, when I love the fact that uh, the chaos is a good word for it. And, you know, in Genesis 1, that the Lord hovered over the deep or the void, that word could also be translated chaos. And he brings, God brings order to chaos. And so our role as parents is to bring order to the chaos. Now, this is where you're like, remember for all these, you're like, I'm not, I don't have kids. I don't understand. No, no. There was supposed to be order brought to your chaos. And so the reason why for some of you, that it feels like your life is continually chaotic. It's, there's some residue from the way that you were parented because, of course, there were sinners who didn't have an instruction manual. In fact, it wasn't until I had kids uh, that I was like, oh, wow, my parents really did love me. They really were doing the best they could. They just, you know, who knows how to do all this stuff? And so that's where I want to go uh, this morning is we look at this sort of reality of who is our trainer. So we resist training uh, our children three ways. We resist training our, training our children in a godly way because we don't know how. We've never seen it. We've never modeled it, never seen it modeled. Uh, maybe, or, or on the flip side of that, we want to rescue our children from all pain. And this is where we get the bubble kids from. And so there's this reality that we, we don't train, how to, and maybe you were never trained on how to respond to pain. How to, how, so you were sheltered so much. So when it came to how to handle uh, that kind of person, you sort of received that as like, you just didn't know. And so all of a sudden you found yourself right in the midst and the thick of the world. And you had no exposure. And you had never were prepared. Or um, what about this? Maybe your parents, or maybe you, focus on results of relationship. And what can happen is that we, you know, if you make the team, if you get the grade, then you get the love. And I think there's a lot of us have been reeling from that, and it's affected who we are as a person. But then more importantly, listen, it's hard to undo how you've been trained. And so, of course, you're just going to, this is why the sins of the father get passed down to the generations. And so we need to learn how to pass down hope and truth and life and love. And one of the things you'll hear me say a lot, and I'll say it, I'll reiterate this a bunch in today's message, is that you are, parents, you are a proxy for God. Like you are standing in the gap for God because it's, I mean, the concept of God is, it's a little bit ethereal for your five-year-old. It's a little bit more complex for the 10-year-old, and you kind of get it over time, but you are the tangible you're way bigger than them, so that's God-like. You're way smarter than them, so that's way God-like. You can move a lot quicker than them, that's way God-like, right? And you can, you can make things happen. You have, you, have the, you have truth comes from your lips. And so, of course, God's going to use you as a proxy for him. But on the flip side, if God uses a proxy, then what can happen is that when you, as you get older, your view of God stays with elementary age God because of all the hurt and woundedness from your past. Or your... Um, you have teenage God, where he's just out there making you a victim of everything, and you're just sort of like, it's you against the world, right? So we're going to get into that a little bit too. All right, so that's where we're going this morning. Um, I'm excited about that. The reason why we're calling it Who's Your Trainer is I have a, a, a conversation with my children that usually ends with this. 
are you training me or am I training you? And once we get that established, usually directions are followed. But until that, usually when I ask that question, they start sprinting around and running away from the answer, right? Because that's, that's what four-year-olds and six-year-olds do. But usually Austin can come around to the point where I'm like, are you training me right now? Or am I training you? So the question I want us to be asking throughout, throughout that, who is your trainer? Okay, that's where we're going. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 9 this morning. So if you want to open up your Bible, pull out your device, get there. Uh, I'm excited to get there with you. So go to 1 Samuel chapter 9. Let's pray and ask God to open up his word in our hearts. Father, thank you uh, for your word and for your, for your love for us. And God, I know that there's a lot of people here that are constantly responding to chaos. And they may not even be parents. And they haven't had order built into their life yet. And so to think about how as someone who is broken or hurting or wounded to bring order into this world, it gets very, very difficult because we still have a lot of our past residue stuff going on. So God, this morning, would you speak into our lives and bring us to a place of rest and what, where we can walk out with the next generation of faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody set. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 9. Um, what's really fun about this is uh, about 18 months ago, this just scripture came up in my quiet time, and I was like, whoa, this is amazing. I can't wait to share it with the church. All right, so, was, you know, that, so this has been a long time coming. I've been very excited to share this with you, all right? So it was one of those as you're reading through the sticky pages of the Bible, you know, the ones that people aren't really that excited about, and that I just saw a nugget there that I'm super pumped to share with you. So that's kind of why I chose this passage. Are you guys ready for this? Okay, well, three people are ready. I want some more excitement. I need some feedback. I want, this is going to be awesome. All right. Yeah. yeah, all right, here we go. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. And then so you get like, he was the son of a son of a son of, he had great stock. He was a Benjamite. Benjaminite, and he was a man of wealth. All right, where are my Bible nerds here who like to know about Hebrew things? Okay, awesome. All right, here we go. Good. All right, there's a great, this word here is gibor hayil. All right, so in case you were wondering, you know, your, your Hebrew of the day, and that is the same terminology that was given to Boaz. Everyone loves Boaz from Ruth, right? So Ruth chapter two, same term there for Boaz. And then I know, you're like, wow, give me some more of that same terminology. It's Judges 6, where you have Gideon, same term. So when the angel shows up to Gideon, who's like, you know, threshing wine in a cave, he's like, the, God, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor, right here. So this means this guy is a stud, and, and he's a man of wealth, he's a prominent guy in culture, and uh, everybody knows who he is. Kind of think of it this way, he's kind of like the godfather without a mafia, Okay. Like, you go to, it's Uncle Kish. Uncle Kish, I need some, I got a problem. I need you to pay for some things. And he would, you know, help you out. And then, of course, you'd kind of help him out on his ranch. And so that's sort of the way that would work with Uncle Kish. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. Now, wealthy guy, handsome young son. What do you initially think of? Wealthy guy, handsome young son. What's your first thought about this kid? Yeah, spoiled rotten. You're like, yep, that guy is going to be a punk. That guy is going to be an idiot, right? Now watch this. Watch this. Verse 3. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. Now, here's where, as he's a man of wealth, so 
I don't know if this was all the donkeys. I don't know if this was a herd of donkeys. I don't know if it was two donkeys. We know it's more than one. I don't know how many, but I'm assuming it's a lot of donkeys, all right? They are lost. How donkeys get lost, I don't know. Donkeys don't seem to be like, you know, they're really loud. Have you ever heard a donkey like, it's just pretty awesome. You need to do some animal farm thing, petting zoo type stuff. All right. So what happens is like these loud, massive amounts of animals, and he said they're lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son. Now, Saul at this point is late 20s. And he says, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And so this is huge. Here you have a father going to his son, and he is training him how to be responsible. And he, look, th- listen, as any man of wealth, if you lose your property, you don't just go, oh, well, you know, you know, it's like missing a bus. You miss one, there's another one coming around every 15 minutes. Now, donkeys aren't like that. They don't grow on trees. They're not like buses. If you miss one, they're gone. And so if you're a man of wealth, you're responsible for your property. And so since he cares about it, he sends his, his son. And then on top of that, he sends a servant with him. Now, this is huge because I feel like this is where... Um, we don't do this. Kish trained his son through empowerment. Now, I don't know if this was the first time. It's probably not. This is probably the hundredth time that he sent Saul on a mission, and he's gone to follow through on it, and we're going to take a look at that. But this is where, where every kid needs to be empowered. And just the, when you think of it, like, empower means, like, I believe in you, and then I also give you the resource. Okay. It's like... Um, yeah, I believe that you can drive here to there without getting into an accident. Here are the keys. You see, it's one thing to kind of say the words. It's another thing to put action and resources behind it. And this is what I love that because I think what happens with a lot of us as parents, and maybe this happened to you from your parents, is they're afraid. parents can be afraid of two things. One, we can be afraid that my kid can't do it. and He's going to fail and he'll feel bad. Or I'm afraid they can't do it because, man, I know my kid. They can't do it. Or we're afraid that, that we won't look good. Like our, our reputation and our hearts are tied to our children's success. Now, this is the part where you start out small and you get greater over time. So uh, we're just entering the season where um, my boys are going asked to go to other kids' house, you know, like... And so Austin and Jack say, hey, Daddy, can we go over to Sully's house? Sully lives right down the street. And I'm like, okay, but you got to be back at 7. And then we go over the lecture. Is 7.02, 7 o'clock? <laughs> no, Daddy, it's not. Okay, so if you come back at 7.02 or 7.01, are you on time? No, Daddy. Okay, so they go. And, you know, telling time... Uh, with my children isn't exactly like one of their strong suits. So like the fact, they, they, they got back at 7.03, and this is where, watch this, if you don't inspect what you expect, then people don't think you value it. Just FY, inspect what you expect. You, someone needs to write that down. And so they get back, and I go, hey, guys, it's 7.03. Are you on time? To which they're like, yeah, we're on time. I'm like, no, you are not on time. What does on time mean? You see, if we don't learn to, watch this, to, to inspect what we, what we expect, then and of course my kids are going to do that. I knew ahead of time they weren't going to be on time. But if I establish for them what the value is, they're going to rise to the occasion and start to learn that. And so I don't go, I don't berate them. I don't get angry. I just go, of course you're not. I knew they wouldn't make it on time because no kid ever would do that for the very first time, be on time ever. Right? 
I think what happens for a lot of us, this, this, now, there's seven, so of course, but as they get older, there's this tendency in us to sort of like, we don't start young. When we get older, it's like shocking when we, they don't obey. They've never been trained. And so what happens for a lot of us, we take it personal, don't we? Like, this is a personal affront to me that my kid didn't obey me, that my kid didn't do, and so then we lose it. Or we stop believing in them. And then we stop giving responsibility to them. I think one of the, one of the fun things uh, for me growing up is uh, my, my, my parents invested me in, in a cool... My mom's right here, by the way, so I can tell stories about you, Mom. Uh, is, uh, okay, so when I, you know, got to be 15, I wanted to go hang out with my friends and, you know, do other things. And so, you know, mowing our own lawn was awesome, but you can only do that so often. And I didn't really do that great of a job. But, but... <laughs> What my parents did do is they uh, found other lots or other places for me to go mow. And then they said, go do it. You know how they invested in me? They believed I could do it, even though I wasn't exactly stellar at, at the house. But they gave me the lawnmower, which is probably about $150, $200 investment, right? Because I'm about to go mow a lot. Now, if you've ever been to a lot as opposed to like a manicured lawn, what do lots have that haven't been built on? Rocks, right? So if you take the lawnmower over the rocks, what happens? Blade breaks. Okay, so uh, automatically we're, we're, going, we're taking some serious risks. So I, no, I walk the lawnmower down the street, up uh, the hill, down the hill, to the, uphill both ways. Thank you very much. And so then I get there, right? And then I'm mowing. And so I know that I'm sort of responsible for this lawnmower. So I weed eat some, mow others, weed eat, mow, weed eat, mow. And it gets it done. And there, the risk that was put into that was a $150 lawnmower, but it was something, right? And eventually, uh, my parents, uh, my dad had this old, like, 1969 sports car that really needed a lot of work. And they gave me the, the ability to drive it and to fix it. So I remember one night, I had gone to this girl's house, didn't really work out with the girl, and so I was and I didn't, you know, I was kind of done. So I was going home. My car wouldn't start. And I didn't want to go talk to her anymore because I didn't want to have to have any of that issue going. So I'm in the driveway, hood up. I take apart the carburetor and put it back together in the same night in the dark, baby. Yeah. But that came, right? Became, and the car started, shockingly. Uh, that, that came through many times of running out of gas because, well, the gas thing didn't really work on the meter. Anyway. So, but the, the part of that was empowerment, resource, and risk. And here's what happens when you get that. You know what happens to a kid who has that? You get really what? Confident. And here's, here's what I'm just, wa watch this. If you're confident, you initiate. If you're not, you respond. And I'm willing to bet that for a lot of us, if you've never been empowered, and granted, is this leadership technique, but it's also parenting. But if you've never been, here's what happens if you don't have initiative and confidence. What happens is, you don't know how to ask out a girl. Because let's just be honest, do guys ask out girls anymore? No, they don't. They sort of go all the way around it. No one's really direct. It's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then somehow they're just sort of friends are going somewhere and the relationship's never, uh, you know, you never have the DTR. It's never defined. It's sort of awkward. We kind of live in this ambiguous world. Am I, am I right? Okay, okay, watch this. And then what happens? And then what happens? Uh, you get married and that ambiguousness continues. Watch this. So sex is a thing, right? 
And if a guy stops initiating because he never knew how, he's always responding. He's like, well, I thought you were going to initiate. No, I thought you were going to initiate. And so we don't have any leadership there. Watch that. That's how that happens. We live in a world of responding as, as opposed to initiative, and that becomes the problem. And so that's what I'm saying. If we are going to empower the next generation, it starts with giving a little bit of risk and a little bit of faith, and you start with the Kia, not the Cadillac. You with me? And I think that what we're going to find is our culture is dying for some people that can take initiative. To be bold. And it, it, wait, hold on, watch this. Isn't that what Jesus does with us? Watch. Here's what Jesus does. He dies on the cross, he's raised from the dead, and then he gives us his Holy Spirit, and then he says, go. In my authority, with my resources a.k.a. Holy Spirit, and go and change the world. Go and tell the whole world that uh, I've, been, I've sent you and say that proclaim the kingdom of God to everybody. Isn't that, isn't that sort of our job? And so what happens, watch this, what happens when we don't empower, when we sort of hold back because it's too risky, or I'm going to look bad because, you know, my kid, he can't, I don't really know. What happens is we've sort of trained an entire generation to respond to the culture at large as opposed to initiate. And that is a small lesson in how Christians become completely ineffective and unheard. So I want us to be a culture. I mean, think, just think about where you're at and, and think about how much initiative you show and where it comes and when it doesn't come. All right, too much conviction. Keep going. All right, verse four. And he passed, so Kish gets, or Saul gets the, the, the mission from Kish, and he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalishah, but they did not find them. Does he quit? No. And they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. Now, Twitch, you're like, you know, how far exactly is that? This is where, like, you're, this is where you turn to Bible maps. You know, this is it. Let me help, help you out. So he starts down here in Gibeah. He heads all the way north through the hill country, uphill both ways. And then he goes around through Shalisha, back to Shalim, comes all the way back. And then we have a, a, other things happen here where uh, he meets Samuel. But the, the reality is that, that Kish trained his son to have grit. He traveled 75 miles, roughly, in about three days, which is a, if you've never traveled 25 miles a day, that's a great clip. That's moving. All right, that's moving, looking for our donkeys. All right, now, you, nope, don't hear any, you know, don't hear it. Keep moving and keep moving and keep moving. And that's like, I'm not going to take a break. I'm not going to put my feet up. I'm going to go and look because I'm here to work. That's grit. Even when he hasn't seen it, it hasn't worked out. And you, listen, what I love about this, he's got a servant with him. Do you think the servant really cares about the donkeys? And he's probably like, so Saul, why don't we just say we went all the way north through the hill country? Who's going to know the difference? Because, listen, we're not going to find these donkeys. And he's got to overcome that. Let's go, buck up, buttercup, let's go. We're going to do this. We're going to head up to the hill country, come around. And he's having to exercise leadership with one of his father's servants. And this is a powerful moment. And he doesn't quit easily. Now, here's the question you have to ask. 
Does he not quit because his dad's going to be super angry? Or does he not quit because it's been instilled in him that this is sort of a work ethic value that we do? I love that. And, and I feel like, and we're going to answer that question in a sec, but I wanted to kind of get to sort of the heart of this of how, why grit is so important. Do you guys, you, ever, you guys know the term grit? For some of you might. It's like the ability to persevere when things get hard and not quit. When I was, uh, I got selected for special forces, and one of the things that we had to do was the endless ruck march. If you're not familiar with what a ruck is, think backpack with a lot of weight in it. So roughly I had 50, 60 pounds in the rucksack, which isn't like killer by any stretch, because sometimes you do 120. But we about 60 pounds in, and, and they tell you when we all start, we all kind of line up, like we're on, it's a race, like why you'd line up for like a break. You just don't know. They say, listen, we're not going to tell you how far you're going to go, and we're not going to tell you when you're done. And so everyone's like, you know, not sure if it's a sprint or if it's like a marathon. Nobody has a clue. And so they're like, on your mind, you know, boom, everyone goes. And you do what's called an airborne shuffle. It's where you just kind of shuffle along. And you kind of get a rhythm where you make the weight kind of shift back and forth. And you kind of put the, the weight of the rucksack on your outer shoulders, inner shoulders, outer shoulders, inner shoulders as you're sort of moving along. And it kind of creates a little rhythm in your head and your heart and your head. Oh, it's just kind of, you can do it for a while. Mile seven, you start to feel it. It gets a little bit, mm, okay. And you're like, you're, you're, now you're adjusting the weight all over the place. And you're trying to make not, you know, put on the skeletal frame of your body, get off the muscles because your muscles are like kind of done. Mile 10, you're like, mm, I hope some other people quit, you know, just so I feel better about myself. You know, you're kind of like there, right? My, I'll never forget, I was like mile 12. And I don't exactly know how long it was because we didn't, you know, didn't have mile markers. And I'm just like in the zone of just like singing little cadences in my head and just kind of look. I look ahead. And there are these guys, you can tell they're hurting. And they're kind of like, they went from the airborne shuffle to the... And all of a sudden, your mind starts going, like, if I have to go this for, for another, you know, 10 miles, I can't do it. And they drop their rucks, and they say, I quit. And I kind of scoot past them about 100, 150 feet. And then uh, the, the instructor goes, okay, you can stop. And I turn around, and there are the guys who just quit. And I wonder if that's how it is for a lot of our lives. Because the, the job is hard, and you have to deal with that person because they, you know, they are what they are. And, and you've been frustrated for a long time. And so what happens is before you have a chance for God to work and see, you're done, you're out. This happens in marriage. You don't know how, 30 more days, 50 more days, you don't know what, what's going to do the thing that's going to turn the corner. Listen, if, and this is just for free. If you've had an affair in your marriage, it's at least five years. And I, I tell people when I do affair counseling, I'm like, you got about five years until this thing is going to be, you're going to feel like you don't have that edge on you all the time. And so when you start walking into the five-year concept or maybe seven-year concept, I, and you start looking down that road, if you've never experienced endurance of hard things and you don't have grit, you're going to quit. And I feel like what happens for a lot of us, we have to relearn the same lesson that God's been teaching us for a long time because there's this thing called long-suffering. It's one of the gifts that God gives us, and sometimes we learn it the hard way. Because when we were younger, we were never trained. Let me tell you how that works. So uh, uh, Adrian, she's a great mom, and she loves our boys. And there's a, you know, as a mom, there's a tendency to want to rescue your kid from every sort of hard thing. 
And so Austin is now uh, at the public school, and he's, you know, he's in second grade, and uh, it's been a kind of a hard year, a hard transition, and it was going to be the, fir- or, yeah, the first time that he was going to have a substitute. And he's like, and he was terrified. And he was like, I can't do it. And he was crying. He's in tears. And he's just like, I can't do it. And I'm like, stop crying. You're going to go to school. And he's just like, oh, I'm so sorry. This is going to be so hard. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So we kind of got that going on. And then, and then uh, that night, Adrian is going to go check on him. He's sort of saying, Mommy, I can't sleep. I'm so worried. I'm so anxious about tomorrow. And Adrian's w- walking, and she told me this later. She's like, I was walking in to tell him, hey, don't worry about it, honey. I'll just pick you up at noon so you don't have to go a whole day. And then as she walked in, she goes, hey, don't worry about it. And then something clicked in her brain. She goes, you're going to be fine tomorrow. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and, and so she prayed with him. She said, God is going to be with you. You don't have to worry. He is there. Let's pray. Let's watch what God does. You can do it. I believe in you, and I'm not going to rescue you. You can't. And it starts when he's seven, so that when he's 27, he's not going, nah, I don't really like this job anymore. Because isn't that what we do? Isn't that how we roll? We were told, just quit. It's hard. If it's toxic, don't be a part of it. Uh-oh. Did I get too personal? Yeah, that, that's what happens. And so we, we live in a life of constant quitting, and we quit on people, we quit on relationships, we quit on marriages, because we've been told, don't worry about it. If it's hard, it's not for you. And let me tell you something. Christians do hard things. That's what we do. That's why whenever, I mean, we use this lessons on eating vegetables. Daddy, it's too hard to eat the broccoli. We do hard things. You know, that's where it starts. <laughs> okay. Verse 5. Now, this, honestly, those first two is like basic leadership training for anybody that is going to be a, a prominent uh, Gibor Hayil, a, a man of wealth. Those are basic things every Gibor Hayil knows. But this last one is something only fathers can do. Okay, watch this. Verse 5. When they came to the land of Zuff, isn't this a fun word, Zuff? It kind of makes me feel like we're Dr. Seuss. All right, sorry. That's where my mind goes. All right. When they came to the land of Zuff, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. This is huge. Remember, he, he, the, the question you got to ask yourself was, he showing grit out there because he was worried that his dad would think he's a complete failure, or was he doing it because he loved his dad and his dad invested him? He had, had internally owned it. And we know he internally owned it because he says this, hey, there's no reason for us to be looking for donkeys. My dad can find more, we can buy more donkeys, but he can't buy another me. And he was so confident about this, watch this, because this is going to blow your mind. He was able to tell a servant how much his father loved him. No, no, watch this. Can you, with confidence, tell somebody else how much your dad loves you? Now, think about that. Think about some of the conversations you've had where you talked about your dad, and usually it goes, and it's not so good. But here is a a kid, okay, he's late 20s, but he, he believes that his dad loves him and values him more than donkeys. He doesn't want results. He wants the relationship, and the kid feels that. 
And he's a grown man feeling that. Watch this. Kish trained his son to know his father valued him. All right, can I just tell you just some experience from counseling? So I counsel a ton of people, and usually goes in marriages and conflict arises, and here's what happens. If someone feels a lot of shame, and this is generally speaking, I don't want to get into like specifics, but generally speaking, it's there was an issue when they were a little kid, and they were screamed at, and they felt to be like made worthless. Okay, And what happens is they grow up feeling shame their whole entire lives, or some sort of emotional traumatic event, and they feel shame from very early on that they'll never be good enough, and their whole life is sort of like trying to live up to something to be good enough. If, if a person has, whenever they come in, they're sort of, the, it's everybody else's fault, like their marriage is like their spouse's fault, and the, the job is the boss's fault, and the other people they work with, like everybody is, everything is everybody else's fault. They had a teenage thing happen. And remember, the, the, remember when you're a teenager, it's you against the world, and they never emotionally grew out of that, and they're stuck. It's everybody else, and I'm just a victim. And so what happens if you don't know that your father loves you, either as a child, you constantly run around with shame, or as a teenager, you constantly run around as a victim. And so what happens is that there's this brokenness that it sort of enters into your life, and then you sort of pass that down to your children. And this is why, this is why I'm telling you, there's no instruction manual for your, for your kids. And so you just sort of pass down all the things you know and you, your view of the world. And if it doesn't get corrected by God's word, then what happens is this massive struggle of trying to parent through and love people through and understand that the world is hard. And I, here's the things where I fall short, that my anger gets the best of me. I want to for for, ask you for forgiveness for that. And if we've never been modeled what it looks like to ask for forgiveness, then what happens is we break down and we become a pride culture where we say, well, we don't ever ask for forgiveness. But here it is. Saul knows his dad loves him. One of the most powerful verses of the Bible, again, it's one of those random ones that you, that's not like anybody's coffee cup, but it's been very impactful for me. Matthew 3.17. And I, and I say it a lot, and so if you've heard it before, like, yeah, I've already got that one. Just hang with me. Matthew 3.17 is about when uh, John the Baptist takes Jesus into the water and, and says, and as he baptized him, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit lights on Jesus like a dove, and then you hear a voice from the cloud saying, God the Father saying, this is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And that has magnitude because not only is that an example for us, but John 17 is where Jesus prays, Father, I pray that you would love them even equal to as you have loved me. And so if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you get that amount of love for you. And so it should reparent you. It should retrain you. It should kind of come to this place where you're like, all the hurt from your elementary school years, all the hurt from your, your teenage years gets reparented and you get to be empowered and you get grit and you get love. Now watch, this is what it looks like. Because listen, my, my, uh, we went to um, Bluebell, Bluebell headquarters, which is in uh, Brenham, right? And we went there um, a couple weeks ago, and, and did you know that you guys can get like about as much ice cream as any human could possibly want in one sitting for a dollar? 
So there's free uh, ice cream advice for everybody. All right, so, so we get there, and we're all excited. We're going to go out to see the museum, which nobody really wants to actually see. We only just want ice cream. So anyway, we get there, and we're in the parking lot. And I have four so Austin is very, you know, he follows the rules and does what he's, you know. And then uh, Titus, I'm holding his hand because he's four. And Pax, you know, we're holding in our arm. And Jet is six. And Jet, Jet's the kid, like, when he plays uh, soccer, he'll go and kick the ball, and then a butterfly will come dancing through the air, and he'll be like, and he just kind of follows. It's, it's, oh, butterflies. And so there he is in the parking lot, and he's sort of wandering off, and like, hey, Jet, there's a car. Hey, Jet, there's a car. Jet, there's a, and you know, I jerk him, in, and so, you know, save his life, and I'm, he doesn't go, thank you, Daddy, I didn't realize I was about to go to my perilous death. He go, what does he do? Start screaming and crying, you know, daddy's mad at me. And I'm like, no, dad, I'm, I'm not mad. No, oh gosh, I know. And so we kind of have to go through this process. Like, listen, I love you so much that I had to be firm with you because you're my son. And I don't care about the other car or the other people or the proper propriety of being in a parking lot. I care about your life. And we had to have a long talk about that because ice cream wasn't as awesome when you get yelled at. And so here's, here's what I say to them every time they kind of get in trouble or make a mistake or sin or whatever. I say, Daddy loves you when you make what? And then I'll, and Jack goes, I roll good choices and bad choices. It makes Daddy happy when you do what? Make good choices. Make good choices. It's in those moments where every kid needs to be reminded that the love isn't dependent upon results. Relationship is never dependent on results. It is even in spite of results. And here's the fear. Here's the fear. This is why parents have a hard time loving a child anew every day because you feel like, because uh, you got to remember, kids' brains aren't like adult brains. They don't even remember what happened yesterday, let alone like, it's like, it's a new day, woohoo! And if you come, you, know, you come and you greet them with like, well, 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 do you remember what you did yesterday? We need to turn that smile upside down and have a little more frowny time because you need to wrap your head around how bad it is. And we kind of like do the storm, walking storm cloud like, or the silent treatment or the whatever as opposed to his promises are new every what? Morning. And so we are here as proxies of God. And so we need to remind our children every day that we have a yes face on because yes, we love you. But I think what has happened is we can get to take things so personal and we get so angry. We want to shut them out for a season till they earn it back. And that creeps into our theology every single time. And so that's why, um, because it's not just when they do bad things, right? Because you can have a kid do good things and all of a sudden have a results-based relationship with their parents or with even with God. Watch this. So when we, we play sports, so right now we're in foot, flag football and soccer. And there's different measures of awesome uh, for each Child, if Titus stays on the field the entire time, that's a huge win, okay? <laughs> if he kicks the ball, that you might as well have, like, you know, do a celebration super dance because that was amazing. Uh, if Jet, like, uh, man, I, he did, this was an amazing moment, and this is probably going to be terrible parenting, but he had this hip check on this kid, like, totally took him out. And it was one of those moments I was like, yes, and then... Of course, he got in trouble from the referee, but it was a beautiful hip check. And in real soccer, that would have not been called. Everyone would have been like, mmm, that was good. Okay, so 
That, that was like, he, he's in the game, he's aggressive, and he's not scared, and he hasn't chased any butterflies. That's a big win. And then with Austin, if he uh, doesn't get angry at his other teammates for not playing up to the, what, the level they should be, that's a big win. Okay, so like, if he passes the ball and doesn't get angry at them for not passing him the ball so he can shoot all the goals. Okay, that's kind of where we all... And at some point, like, you know, Austin this, this week, you know, he had an interception, he, had a, he ran an extra point, he was doing awesome things, and I, I, I pulled him aside after the game, I said, hey, listen... I'm so proud of you, and I kind of gave each kid their own I'm proud of you speech. Awesome, so proud of you for the interception. You did really great the way you, you, know, you ran on the end run to get in the end zone. That was amazing. Awesome job. Jet, man, hip check. Way to go. I know there was, you know, I got a little in trouble for that, but that's exactly what you do in soccer. Way to go. And then, and then Titus, like, Titus, you were on the field the entire time. It was so amazing. Okay. Now, here's what we do. And on the back side of that, I have to say this but you know why daddy loves you? And initially, like, because I scored a goal? I'm like, no, I don't care about goals. I think it's great that you scored. But daddy doesn't care about goals. What do I care about? And they go, me. And I go, why? And then eventually they get to, because I'm your son. I go, right. Everybody in the building needs to hear that. Everybody in the building needs to hear, I love you, not based on what you do, because you're mine. I love you, I'm proud of you, and you're mine. And if you hear that in your heart, there is no end to what you can accomplish and the amount of initiative that you're going to take to go and do bold and crazy things for Jesus. The amount of grit that when things get hard, you don't quit because you've been operating out of a place of love and not out of a place of performance, and it transforms everything. And so that's why I love this. And here's the thing. Here's how I know this was true for, for Saul, because later on in chapter 10, uh, uh, someone comes up and says, now your father has ceased to be care about the donkeys and is anxious about you. It wasn't like Saul was living in this world like, man, I hope my dad loves me and I, if I fail. Uh, no, he knew. And it was true that his dad really loved him. All he wanted to know, what am I going to do about my son? And every kid needs to know that. Everyone needs to know that how valued are, how loved they are. And I think if we're honest, I think if we're honest, the reason why you felt so much friction in your own parenting, the reason why you felt so much friction in your own life is you've never had a transfer of parental authority to godly authority. Because some of you are still operating under your parents and never had a transfer to God. And so that's why you call your mom every time something goes down. That's why you call your dad for real advice, when, even when your spouse is like, well, I think we should. And so there's a battle there. Because that, that transfer never happened. In fact, one of the things I do with Austin, because he's at an age, I said, I need to teach you how to read the Bible. And he's like, okay, I'm ready. And I go, do you know why I'm doing this? He's like, uh, so I'll read the Bible? I'm like, well, sort of. It's at some point there's going to be a transition where I'm no longer disciplining you. I'm not going to be the one that disciplines you. And I said, who's going to discipline you? And he's like, it was amazing. And he kind of got, God? I said, exactly. Because when you're out of my house and no longer under my authority, you are responsible to God for your own life. And so I want you to make wise decisions now when you can mess up and, and I can kind of, uh, you know, have a t you can have a tangible experience with your daddy to know what's wrong and what's right and then be empowered to go and do great things for the Lord so that when you're under his authority, under like you're, you're receiving from God, you can walk in faith and not in fear. And you're not constantly asking me because you have your own relationship with Jesus. And I think that is what happened for a lot of us. We got stuck. Okay, so, so here's what I want to ask this question. 
where does God need to retrain you? Is it in, let's go back to this, is it in your, your empowerment where you need to realize that God has given you his authority? He's given you Holy Spirit power. And so therefore, so therefore, you walk initiating into the culture, not just simply responding to it. Bring order to chaos, not just being a victim of it. Is that where you need retraining? Or, or what about, do you need retraining in what, what it is to suffer well? To not be a victim. To say, I'm not going to quit just because it gets hard. Because my God has already taken the greatest pain and rescued me so that I can endure. And I'm here in whatever this sphere of influence is because God placed me here. What am I going to do here in my marriage, at my work, in my parenting? Wherever your sphere of influence is, what are you going to do? And then ultimately, do you need to be retrained on how God loves you? And this is the, this is the part of this that I get all very passionate about, and this is why we do things like communion. You see, Jesus, when he went to the or before he went to the cross, he got his disciples together. He, broke, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is how valued you are. This is how loved you are. This is what I see in you. And that same night, he took the cup so this is my blood shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, I love you enough to die for you. And if you're not a Christian here, my hope is that you would see how valued you are, that he would go to the cross for you, to take on the wrath of himself for you, because he's a just God who understands that there is a consequence for sin. He took it when he went to that cross. And then he rose from the dead, conquering it, to free you from that penalty of sin. Now, listen, it's not just um, lost people, people who don't know God who need to hear this. It's people who do know God. Because not only does he free you from the penalty of sin, he frees you from the power of sin. When you get afraid and you're just, you just, I don't want to initiate with my wife, I just want to respond. I don't want to initiate into the culture, I just want to respond. And so what he says, I'm going to give you the power over fear so you can live in faith. The fear that's going to be too hard and I just need to quit. The faith to say, I am never going to quit. I'm going to trust my God to do exactly what he's called me to do. And then to experience that love, to, to speak out against the lies. that you are loved and you are a chosen child of God. I'm excited this morning that we're doing two things. We're doing, first we're going to do communion, then we're going to do baptism. And it's so exciting for Leanne to get baptized today. And it's one of the most, I can't wait for you to see her story as it's so moving and so powerful that she sees how valued she is. And even as a Christian, you can forget that. And that's why Jesus said, I want you to get these people together. And whenever you guys get together, as often as you can, Remember what I did for you. 
because then you're going to remember the love I have for you, which will then empower you and give you grit. And so um, that same question then goes to this place of how are you going to train? Are you going to pass down some of the terrible things that got passed down to you, or are you going to go back to God's word and you're going to retrain your children in God's word and with God's power and God's grace? So we're going to go to a time of prayer. We're going to take communion. We're going to experience baptism with Leanna. And I can't wait for that experience for us. So let's all go in prayer, and then we're going to take communion together. Father, thank you. You are doing all things well, and we worship you in spirit and truth. And so, Father, I'm praying that your grace would be sufficient. And so, God, this morning as we are seeking you, longing for you, needing you, God, would you do something really unique and really powerful and give us a lot of hope? God, we know that you sent Jesus to die for us. And we know that he rose from the dead. And so, Lord, for anyone here who does not have that saving faith, would you just give them that gift and they'd step over that line of faith and believe? And, Lord, for those who are walking with you, but it's been a while and it's been hard and it's been a rough go, would you remind them of your great love and would you reparent them with love and truth and hope and gospel power? They were not only freed from the penalty of sin, but from the power of it. And we would experience that joy of reminding ourselves of that through communion. And God, right now, uh, we need to take to you some of our sin and some of our darkness. And so, Lord, I pray that right now, as we give to you the stuff that's on our hearts um, through this message and through your word, Lord, you would just work with us and remind us of your great love. And we confess and repent because you said in your word that that we should confess our sins to you. And you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we love you. Take the next 20 seconds to just...